Welcome to Dad's Right Season 3, Episode 4, once again, coming from you, coming to you from uh, the prairies. from the Wizard of Oz and and typically I'm not one to wish people ill will and and I try to see the positive sides when possible however that being said I I am happy and I do take pleasure that Trump is no longer part of our day-to-day news cycle he he was a bully he was a habitual liar and and truly an asshat in every conceivable way yeah I I hope America can can somehow bridge the massive division he has really done his best to widen. I think it's going to be hard if there's still people like Mitch McConnell, Rand Paul, and Lindsey Graham around. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is another one. But they've, they have taken their first uh, step by, by booting out Sir Tweets a lot. So the best of luck to Biden and his administration because they are definitely going to need it. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think... Unfortunately, we will be talking about Trump, and uh, I think Trumpism is probably going to be a term to refer to a specific right-wing ideology within the Republican Party and, and in American politics for for a while. I mean, he'll certainly come up in the midterm elections and in the next presidential election. You know, there, we're going to be talking about how Trump's legacy either seems to be disappearing or is still affecting the Republican Party. Um, We'll probably see Democrats invoking Trump's name for a while every time they want to discredit, try to discredit their opponent. In the same way that Trudeau still uh, and the Trudeau liberals, whenever they're you know desperate to take a swipe, they t- bring up Harper. Yeah. Um, but I, I imagine bringing up Trump will be a more effective strategy. So I still think we'll be talking about him for a while. I have a Trump story uh, <laughs> in a later segment, but. Um, you know, it's the beginning of the end, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, that was also my good times. I had nothing else. What do you got? <laughs> well, I have a few good times. None of them have anything to do with Donald Trump, which they never have, actually. <laughs> None yeah. of my good times have had to do with Donald Trump, except for maybe if I mentioned a good time how he lost an election. Anyway, 11 workers who have been trapped for two weeks underground in a China gold mine have been rescued today, which is fantastic. There are 10 others whose fates remain unknown. This was after an explosion blocked some of the uh, escape shafts or however mines work. Yeah. They got trapped underground. So glad to hear them rescued. I was just, I'm a little surprised. This is the first time hearing about this. I didn't know there were 21 people trapped underground in China. Me neither. Do you remember years ago when, um, and this was quite a few years ago now, but when there was like a bunch of people trapped underground in I think a coal mine in Chile, yep. I think it was. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I remember watching on the news when those were when those people were rescued. Yeah. Um, I think I was at 
Anna's, our old uh, sitter's place. And that just goes to show you how many years ago, because that, that we haven't been, I haven't been at Anna's in like... You haven't 10. had a babysitter in a while. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that must have been like 10 years ago, but... Yeah, they um, came up, they dug, they dug like a, a hole just big enough to get people through, and they came up through this tiny hole. That was a crazy rescue. I remember that one. Yeah, it was. I, I, whenever there's moments like that come up, I get a little bit rattled because I'm not old. I'm not that old at all, considering. But um, I am now getting to the part of my life where there have been world events where I'm like, I remember when that happened, and it wasn't like two years ago, it was like 10 years ago. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Like, I'm like, I can remember where I was when this big thing happened. And that's only recently where I've really been able to say that. Right. The yeah. first one, the earliest one, I think, is when Michael Jackson died. Okay. And I don't know why, because I was never a big Michael Jackson fan. No. But I remember we were about to go to one of Madeline's dance recitals when we heard it on the news. Yeah, well, it was big news. I guess that's yeah. probably why you remember it. Yeah, that's the first big news story I, I remember. Anyway, this next one is uh, kind of a big story, and so I'm going to read directly from a CBC article because I, I couldn't summarize it in so few words. Dutch police said on Saturday they had arrested the alleged leader of a multi-billion dollar drug syndicate who is listed as the world's most wanted fugitives and has been compared to Mexican drug lord El Chapo. And I'm going to butcher this name, but... Sichi Lop, a Canadian national, was detained on Friday at the request of Australian police, who led an investigation that found his organization dominates the $70 billion a year Asia-Pacific drug trade. And I'm going to pause here to say I love it when, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to see Canadians being successful on the <laughs> international stage. Yeah. Uh, it brings a sense of national pride. C is expected to be extradited after appearing before a judge, adding that his arrest as the Dutch police spokesperson, adding that his arrest by national police took place without incident at Amsterdam's Schiphol Airport. Am I saying that right? Schiphol. Schiphol Airport. I guess he was trying to Schiphol town. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he was already on the most wanted list, and he was detained based on intelligence we received. So that's cool. That's neat. It's good that he's been obviously detained, and I have to say, it is, I, I do find it honestly kind of cool that he's Canadian. <laughs> so he hasn't lived in Canada for many years. He apparently splits his time between um, Macau, Hong Kong, and Taiwan. Well, that's where you got to be if you're a drug king. Sorry? That's where you got to be if you're a drug king. Yeah, he used to live in Toronto. And he was just a drug prince when he lived in Toronto. <laughs> The syndicate he's expected of running is known to its members as, quote, the company, which is a little ominous. <laughs> yeah, also just overdone, I think. Like, the two, so many, like, books in that. Like, it's, I don't know. That's kind of lame. Yeah. He's got to come up with a better name. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that's good. I'm, I'm good he was detained. I'm glad that we're competing with the Mexicans on an equal scale when it comes to uh, international drug trafficking. That's right. <laughs> And this is a, a little thing, and I don't think this is news, I think this is widely known, but I just learned, and I, I learned this when researching another story that we'll talk about later, but um, apparently as part of uh, Meng Wanzhou's bail, 
and her like being allowed to sort of move freely about the lower mainland of BC, she has to pay for her own security. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I agree. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we're not paying for that. Yeah, that's. Good. I think it's a. I think it's a very good stipulation, especially when you're rich, for the courts to say like, yeah, you're out on bail. You want to move around? Sure. You have to have security, and you have to pay for it. Yeah. I agree. I don't see why we would need to. If she wanted, this. if she wanted to escape, she should have got. She she should have hired shoddy security. <laughs> I'm sure there was some sort of standard. Maybe. And then, lastly, for good news, I'll throw I'll throw this in um, because uh, I do think it's good news, and uh, I don't often agree with conservative premiers. But Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe condemned what he called a misguided protest outside the Regina home of the province's chief medical officer of health. Moe said Dr. Saqib Shahaba, which again, I'm sorry if I butchered the name, uh, has worked tirelessly to protect the province's residents throughout the pandemic and should not be subjugated to harassment from a, quote, group of idiots. And one of my favorite uh, tropes in this pandemic has been uh, premiers insulting protesters using very gentle, arguably, protests. But because it's a premier, it's considered yeah, like serious know, like slang. Yeah, yeah like what, a serious what did, slight. What did Doug Ford say? I can't remember, but it was similar to group of idiots. Yeah, and he it was like I remember in the press conference, he's like threw up his hand, like exasperated, and it was like he was gonna curse, and he said like. Something along the lines of group of idiots. It was like hooligans or something. Yeah, something. Who, I think it was hooligans. Yeah. Something. It's so funny because there's these, like, you know, older white men who are just, like, you know, getting tired and they're like your your old uncle or something. Hooligans? Like, yeah, rattling the cane, you know? Well, I, I would agree with Scott Moe here as well on, on a couple levels. I mean, even if he's doing a bad job, I don't think you should be protesting at their home. I think the place yes. for protests is at the parliament buildings. Just and if I would say official offices. Yeah, sure. Also clear. Yeah. You know, public but, offices. But yeah, I agree. And then, yeah, and I mean, I'm sure they're doing the best job that they can. I, well, I, I don't know that. I don't know much about what's going on here. But I guess I do know that. So what were they, I mean, what were they protesting? Were they protesting the restrictions or were they protesting the fact? Oh, well, then, yeah, I would agree. Group of yeah. idiots. If they were protesting the fact that Saskatchewan has the most cases per 100,000, then, you know, yeah, that's maybe a I protest I could that. get behind. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I have for good times. Um, going over to bad times, I have just two. And it's, I always, it's always a good week when I have more good times than bad times. Yeah. A woman in Quebec with dementia, she's 97, was accidentally given a shot of Pfizer after already receiving a dose of Moderna. And now this is, Quebec. Quebec is a province where they are holding back second shots. They're giving out all the first shots with the vaccines they have, and they're holding back second shots. So she was, so it wasn't, she wasn't even supposed to get another shot. But she has dementia. She didn't really understand what was going on. So it's not like she was trying to cheat the system or anything. But it was due to, she got, I believe, the shot, if I understand the story correctly, she got the shot of Pfizer at the long-term care home she was in. But that one closed down due to a COVID outbreak and she was moved to another one and within that transition she ended up getting a second shot and she couldn't you know protest and so now the the daughter her daughter is quite upset because it's it's being seen as um, a potential waste of vaccine and because there is little to no data according to health officials on how the vaccines might mix so we really have no idea what could happen and that's really a scary position to be in you know 
Yeah, I mean, you never. I guess you never know what might happen when you put things in your body. You just gotta have better records than that, especially when you're dealing with people that can't tell you themselves. Yeah, that's the thing. I I, I kind of look at this, and I'm this is something that can't happen for so many levels because you know it's just however small. You know, this woman is now at risk of who knows what. You have to take better care when you're dealing with people with dementia. And now this is this means that there's somebody else who might not get their first dose, you know? Yeah. It's, and we're at a stage where it's very important that we get as many people as possible. So it's just one of those things where it's like, this can't happen. Yeah, yeah, they definitely definitely need to be much more careful. Yeah. And then in related news, uh, not related, but it's still COVID, the new COVID-19 variant might be more deadly, according to UK officials but more evidence is needed before they will actually say that 100% for sure. But current deaths, they say, if, if you do, like, say, their example group was, like, 65-year-old men, you can expect about 1% of people infected to die. Where the new variant could make it 1.4%. And to put that into more numbers, right now it would be, with the original variant, it would be 10 of every 1,000 people moving up to 14 of every thousand people right so that's not good if it is yeah no that's not i i read something today that said they some people don't think it is uh they said ignore what boris johnson said so i don't know we'll oh, see well, that wouldn't surprise me he's another one of those world leaders that's you know a bit of an idiot i have a couple as well in placer county california a patient passed away hours after receiving the covid vaccine Officials are investigating the incident. This, so this person had previously tested positive for COVID back in December. And the article also says the vaccine was not administered by Placer County Public Health. I'm not sure who gave them the shot. Their their neighbor or something? I don't know. And, yeah. <laughs> and the doctors that are investigating it uh, say they're first inclination is that it's probably not related to the vaccine now fauci ha- fauci a bus because then i would say it's not, it's not exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, fauci's recommended that people shouldn't get vaccinated within 90 days of the initial infection and this was i guess less than that so i don't know they're looking into it hopefully it's nothing to do with it because that'll there's already people that don't want it so this could push it over the even more people that but you know what the really thing, what really weird thing was, the picture that they had behind the article was of Bill Gates. And I'm like, why is Bill Gates? Was it Bill Gates who died? No, no, no. It was, why is this picture of Bill Gates here? That was weird. And in uh, in Tacoma, Washington, a police Sorry, were... A repeating segment of Tacoma, Washington news. Oh, Yes. There was some street racing happening, so the cops came, I guess, to try to shut it down. And the the crowd that was there gathered around the police vehicle. Uh, and then the, the there's a video, and the police car just drives away and literally runs over two people. It has to stop, and the car like goes bump over top of them as it drives over them. Oh. Yeah, so it's... Uh, they said there's obviously they're investigating it. The, they said the officer spread through the cat sp- sped through the crowd when they started banging on the windows, which 
I, I don't think that's the threshold at which you drive through a crowd. Yeah. I have to say, it's like most police officers in the U.S. were not paying attention to anything that's happened over the past year. Yeah, and it's it's I I mean I know they're they're there illegally and they're you know street racing is illegal and they shouldn't be there blah blah blah. But uh, listen, if if somebody in the crowd pulled a gun, sure. I mean you know then they're that's a that's a different level of crowd. That's a different level of 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 danger but if they're just banging on your windows come on yeah if you're a police officer you really need to be able to handle more than that yeah and anyway the person uh there was two people that were went to hospital one of them has been released neither of them they're neither are life-threatening injuries which is good but still it's just bizarre Uh, it's just unbelievable really yeah there's a
sweeping powers for sure what exactly but it's it's interesting that the foreign affairs minister said that if they're talking about domestic travel (laughs) well i mean i think it also might have you know international consequences who knows you know what just i think i was thinking uh the october crisis which was the FQ in the 70s i think that sparked the uh, the beginning of the emergencies act because when pierre trudeau invoked the war measures act to deal with the october crisis it was like, well, it's not a war, you know? Right. That changed. Anyway, that would be interesting. It would be the first time the Emergencies Act has ever been active. I just I just looked that up to confirm, but it would be the first time it's ever been used. I wonder if they want to do it just so that they can say they've used it. Yeah. <laughs> just to put something on the history books, you know? Yeah. Keeping in Canada, Julie Payette, the gov- former governor general, has resigned after a uh, internal investigation reveals that there was a lot of credibility to reports of a toxic and hostile, bordering on abusive work environment. She is the very first governor general to ever resign in scandal. You know why that is? It's because it's not a hard job. You sign what they tell you to sign and you have to be nice to people and that's it. There's two requirements and she couldn't do the second one. Yeah. That's the, and that's the interesting thing because, you know, a lot of people, they criticized Julie Payette's selection in the beginning, you know, and it's the opposition's job to criticize everything the government does. So yeah, whatever. And they, they said, you know, we don't think this is a qualified person, blah, 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 blah. It turns out they were right. But I understand 
why Trudeau maybe didn't give that too much thought because what are the qualifications? Yeah, exactly. There, there isn't any. You don't need to do anything. Maybe you get to yeah, meet the queen. Like, you need to know what fork to use at a dinner. That's it. Yeah, it's it's pretty easy. So I understand why Trudeau wasn't worried. And, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. And he said he's looking to, Trudeau has said he's looking to improve the vetting process. It just just Which put them in like, some sort of stressful situation and see if they start yelling at people. Because otherwise, there's yeah, not, it's fine. Yeah. It's not hard. <laughs> it's. I mean, it's a great job if you can nail it. Yeah, um, I'd like to do it. Is there a, are they going to, uh, is it on Indeed? Are they advertising? I'll put my resume in. <laughs> you get to live in a huge house. You know, you get your your pay, and then for the rest of your life, you get like a one hundred and twenty nine thousand dollar pension, and you get to claim expenses. Yeah, it's a good deal. Yeah. Now, a lot of people are saying, and Trudeau hasn't ruled out denying pay at some of these bonuses. Well, then it would need to go to it would need to be some sort of trial or something. Like you can't. I think she quit in time. Like you can't just deny because there need to be. She needs to be able to mount a defense. Yeah, although her resignation might be seen as an admission of guilt. I don't think she did admit guilt, though. I think she actually said she she doesn't think she was given a due process, but she was put in a situation where she had to resign. Oh, maybe. Anyway, we'll see if anything comes of that. I'll be interested to see who he picks. Yeah. A lot of people are talking about former Chief Justice uh, Beverly McLaughlin, which would be, uh, I mean, again, I hate to say, like, a very qualified pick because... Yeah. But, like, whatever. And then uh, also rumor is um, Jim Watson, who's currently the mayor of Ottawa, would be the first openly gay governor general. But a lot of people are also saying pick an indigenous governor general. You're the queen's representative here. And isn't the indigenous, like, they don't necessarily recognize? It varies. It varies person to person. You know, like, I, I just like anything else, different in, indigenous people will have different views on it. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. Yeah, you're right. It could be seen as taking power. Yeah. And... There have been indigenous lieutenant governors in the provinces, which is the same, same job, thing. just yeah. on provincial scale. Sure, then. Then go for so it, yeah. No, if that fits yeah. a job that you want. Yeah. Like, it's, day, though, it's, it's really an easy job. It doesn't matter who does it, really. <laughs> yeah, the fact that she couldn't do it is... It says something. Yeah. Anyway, we'll come back to Canada, but I think it's about time we get to the U.S., because that's where all the big news is coming out of this week. On January 20th, Joe Biden was officially inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States. I had my worries, but the inauguration seemed to go off without a hitch. Uh, did you watch it? No. I watched it for hours, just to, just because I really wanted to see. But the, anyway, the poet laureate, whose name escapes me at the moment, but Dead. she's a young uh, 22 woman. She was, she's large talked about since the uh, reading her uh, poem. And I have to say it was very good. It was fantastic. A woman with a bright young future. I encourage you to look her up to get some more information. But that was an amazing, fantastic sentiment in that poem. Bernie's outfit was another highlight. Yeah, um, yeah. I talk about the, I talk about that later too. <laughs> Mittens and everything. That was fantastic. I'll let you go into the detail. But there was a you know a huge sense of relief just watching it happen. When they walk into the White House. It was amazing. Have you seen the Bible that Joe Biden? Yeah, it was an old family Bible, right? I Yeah, that thing was a monstrosity. Must be large um, font. Stephen, Stephen Colbert said, showed a picture, and here's Joe Biden swearing on what appears to be the Bible, the extended edition, <laughs> with all the extra Jesus. <laughs> um, 
but it was an amazing, you know, large Bible. But honestly, the biggest thing for me, obviously, you know, great Trump was gone, but throughout it all, just the historic significance of Kamala Harris being sworn in just resonated with me. I, I didn't expect to be quite as moved as I was watching her get sworn in, but I was. It was it was incredible, and, and there's a and decent watched, there's a decent chance she will be president. Like he's old, Joe's old. Yeah, there is a very decent chance that she will be president. Even, I mean, even if Joe Biden serves out a full four years, we'll see if he decides at 82 that he wants to serve another four. It, listen, if he serves, if he runs for re-election and wins, guaranteed she'll be president. Yeah. Guy, I don't think guys doing eight years. But anyway, even if he does do the whole four, you know, being the vice president is a pretty good stepping stone to eventually one day be president, you know? Yeah. And even if she doesn't do it right after Joe Biden, Joe Biden didn't do it right after Obama, you know? Maybe she doesn't win the first primary. Maybe she doesn't run in the first primary. But really, if you if you were going to be vice, if you're vice president and you decide you want to be president, you have a very good chance. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it doesn't, as long as your presidency isn't awful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I know Pence has much of a chance, but we'll see. So, yeah, that's that's amazing. And, and I, I think she has a very big future ahead of her. And uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. The other nice thing was seeing, you know, she went over to preside over her first Senate session. And, uh, and the vice president doesn't often uh, preside over the Senate. It is their official one of their official duties is president of the Senate. But uh, they're not that isn't often something they do, but they always go to swear in new senators so Kamala Harris went to the Senate as one of her first official duties. She swore in the two new senators from Georgia, uh, Senator Warnock and Senator Ossoff, and her replacement for California, Senator Padilla. And then a, a Democrats officially took control of the Senate. So that was also nice to see. Chuck Schumer is uh, the majority leader who, you know, we can say he's not great, like Nancy Pelosi's not great, but he's better than Mitch McConnell. Probably. I we'll find out over the next couple of years. <laughs> so that was nice. And then she also presided over the Senate's election of the president pro tempore of the Senate, who we've talked about before is just the oldest or rather longest serving member of the majority excuse me, majority party. And then she and then Kamala Harris left. Patrick Leahy was uh, elected as president pro tempore. Is it elected when it's just this person? Well, technically, the senators had to vote on it. Oh, weird. So, yes. And then uh, and then Democrats took control of the Senate, which they will have for at least two years. And we'll see if, you know, hopefully things get done. Yeah. Um, Bernie Sanders was on, Seth Meyers was talking about that. He's like, listen, we got to, you know, people are hurting. People are, they literally can't feed their children. They need jobs. They need health care. And yes, sure, like Joe said, we can we can try to reach across the aisle, but if they don't want to, if they don't want to agree to these things, then then we pass with fifty one votes. Yeah, and and I think that will be largely. And I think I watched the same interview, and Bernie Party said Bernie Party Bernie Sanders said he doubts the Republicans will agree, and that they think that's what they'll do. And I agree with him. I I think the Republicans will largely try to be difficult to work with. You might occasionally get Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski. Uh, maybe Mitt Romney to vote with you on the occasional thing, but other than that, like I don't see, I don't see a lot of interparty cooperation coming up. But I'm hoping they make moves on healthcare. I'm hoping they can get some pandemic stuff done. I would also like to see Puerto Rico and DC statehood, and if they can get that, if they can get Puerto Rico and DC statehood, 
I think they could take control of the Senate through the midterms because that's four Democratic senators. Potentially, but they could also easily lose more than four. Uh, I mean, depending on how the first two years go. Yes. Yeah. It, it's possible, but it definitely uh, helps them. It definitely helps them. Yeah. Yeah. So like, we'll see. Puerto Rico isn't going to elect two Republican senators. No. Although people, it's interesting because Puerto Rico might come into play eventually because they tend to hold more social conservative views. But people are saying it would be Democratic cold in the beginning because are you going to go and vote for the party that didn't want you to be able to vote? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. You wouldn't think so. so. Things. Uh, hopefully things will get done. I'm, I'm very happy that the Democrats are in back in control of the Senate and the White House. And Joe Biden made his first phone call to a foreign leader, and it was Trudeau. Yeah. Um, and the second, one, nice. the second one was to Mexico, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. And, and there was a, a long tradition of most of those first contacts being to either Mexico or Canada. Mostly, normally it was Canada first. Sometimes it was Mexico first, though. That Trump broke. I can't remember who Trump contacted first, but it wasn't either of us. So it was glad. Uh, you know, people are expecting relations to normalize and to be able to work together more than apart now that Biden's in in power. And this was announced after his press secretary. And side note, I love not having to know or care who his press secretary is. Yeah. I think I, I know it's a woman. And her last name starts with a P, but I, I didn't care enough to look it up because it doesn't matter anymore because yeah. she's not an insane person. Anyways, the press secretary was asked about how Joe Biden plans to, you know, it was like, it was something like, when are you going to talk to Putin? And the press secretary was like, well, Putin's not our priority. Our Essentially, our allies are our priority, and that's why I called Trudeau first. So that was nice. Yeah. You know, people have said that it signifies that despots and authoritarians are in and the are out and the old allies are in. So that's good. Speaking of Democrats in control of the Senate, Chuck Schumer has said that the impeachment trial will begin the week of February 8th. And it's interesting because apparently there's a, a semi-secret internal lobby amongst Republicans to vote to remove him, to, to, to convict Trump. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mitch McConnell himself has said he's not sure how he's going to vote yet. Yeah. And I, it will be very interesting to see if Republicans, if enough, if 18 Republicans vote to convict Trump. I think people are getting their hopes up. I have to say I don't think they should because, you know, every time we see maybe, maybe Republicans will have a bit of a spine, they never do. No, it's, it won't happen. I, I would yeah. I would be absolutely shocked if it happened. Yeah. No, I think, you know, you might get more than the two votes or three Republican votes he got in the maybe. last time. Maybe. You might get five I or six. Yeah, but I don't see you getting 18. Now, the reason, though, that they might be trying to do this is because Trump is reportedly discussing starting his own political party. Which, you know, it, it's, it could be one of those things where it's like he's talking about it, is he going to do it? No, it might be nothing. But it is serious enough that there's already a name, the Patriot Party. After the football team? And <laughs> Probably. Now, I have to say, this is probably a Republican's worst nightmare and a Democrat's most hopeful dream. Yeah. Because you, you might see the Patriot Party winning the most conservative states, Wyoming and West Virginia. But I'd say that's maybe it. Like, they're not going to gain power, but they'll take enough of that Republican vote to have Democrats able to win Texas, North Carolina, Florida, maybe Indiana, you know, some of these other states that Republicans, you know, solidly win, but only by five to nine points, you know? 
Oh yeah, no. If they, if Trump if Trump runs as an independent or Patriot Party or whatever, it just guarantees a democratic victory. Yeah, and not only in on the you know if, if he runs as an independent, guarantees the a Democrat president. But if he starts his own party, and not only is he running for president, it has down ballot senators, yeah. House like the Democrats will just sweep everything. Are you allowed to? Add a third party in in the U.S. Constitution? Yeah, no, nothing. Said, there's already they they already have the Green and Libertarian Party, right. that are official parties that run as many candidates as they can get. Right. It's not legally a two party system. It's just turned into one. Right. But with the Trump brand, like how big he is, he could arguably perhaps start the most successful third party within this party system. Potentially. Yeah, for sure. And um, now I think he'll probably wait till after the trial. And if he gets convicted, I don't know if he'll bother. Well, didn't you say they can ban him from running for president? They can ban him from holding any office. Yeah. So then he wouldn't make a party if he can't be the leader of it. But would he if he could maybe put Don Jr. in charge and rule from the shadows, you know? Uh, I don't know. I don't think he's I think he likes to be in charge. That's the feeling I get. Now, if he is serious about that, that might encourage some Republicans to vote. From the shadows is not a phrase he uses very often, I think. That's fair. Um, but you can see how maybe Republicans would want to vote to keep him from ever holding an office again. Absolutely. That moving over. Yeah, absolutely. Because they know they'll never hold an office again. <laughs> yeah. No, it would be uh, it would be an a- absolute death blow to, to the Republican Party, I think. Yeah, it, it would arguably be the death of the GOP as we know it and start, like, arguably up to 20 years of Democrats controlling at least the Senate and the House, if not the presidency as well. Yeah, I think so. I think the presidency first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, depending on who the GOP run. But does it, it think, doesn't but, matter. Trump's going to get 30 million votes, 20 million votes. Yeah, yeah, I... This is, I mean, here's the thing. I look at this in two ways. One is that it would be this big, toxic party that would have a platform that would really stall the ability of America to move past a lot of its racist roots and, and, and the lies that so many of them have been tricked into believing over the years by the Republican Party over the years. So in that way, I think this Patriot Party would be a bad thing. But also, I get excited talking about it and thinking about Democrats being in charge for so long, because then actually real stuff might be able to get done. Maybe. It would be. Overall, it's bad, though. Really, it is. Overall net negative? I think so. You don't want what is essentially a racist party that controls a 30-year vote. Like, it just, it's not right. Yeah. But, I, I, yeah, it's just hard not to get excited thinking separately from that of Democrats being in control for so long. Yeah. It's like, it's you know, it's I, maybe it's not that much different than the block party. I guess it's a bit different, but not not, not miles different. And, and is it actually any different than the fact that the, the, this Patriot Party is just a big part of the Republican Party right now? Yeah. No, like, it is. Do they yeah. really have... Maybe it would be good for the Republican Party to get this part out. Yeah, and then once once the Patriot Party eventually dies out, because honestly it would, I, I think after uh, electoral defeat, after electoral defeat, it would eventually die out. And the Republican Party would probably become the party of the more moderate, honest center-right. And then you might deal with a real... Yeah, get back to where we were. 
yeah, like a, a while right ago, center, right center left type of thing. Yeah, it'll also be interesting if if that would encourage, say, the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party to split off. If after being, you know, after being in power for so long, if the internal stresses, you know, they don't have to worry about winning an election, so the left wing starts to actually push the Democratic Party for some stuff, and when they're met with the moderate resistance, they split off. Yeah, well, then you have, then you're back to the same problem. Yeah, it'd be interesting. It would rewrite American politics as we know it. Yeah, he won't do it. Um, He's way too lazy. He's way too lazy. He won't do it. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if he He'll talk about it. starts it and then gives up before the next election. He'll talk about it, but it won't happen. Yeah. As one of his first orders, Biden ordered a review of domestic terrorism threats in wake of the U.S. Capitol riots, which is nice because you never saw Trump taking domestic terrorism seriously. Yeah. So it's, it's just nice to see somebody actually take that seriously, and especially in wake of the unprecedented riot. Like, obviously, something needs to be done, and so that's good. I, yeah, that's I mean, good. when is it, when is it, when is it, I, I don't know what I'm trying to ask here, but, but like, say the, the protests about lockdowns versus the protest about government, and then protest versus riot i mean when it's difficult and then and then moving on to domestic terrorism when do like they're fine lines it's not it's not easy yeah you have to be able to protest your government yeah absolutely and you're right it is a fine line it might it might end with like breaching the building maybe it isn't that final line maybe that's where the problem lies like if they stayed outside the capitol and protested there's probably no arrests no nothing yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I'm sure, like, you know, the it is a fine line. I, the organizations that I don't trust at all will probably come up with some sort of definition, but I think it's something that the U.S. will be grappling with for a while. Yeah, because they, um, they have, like, completely opposite sides of the political spectrum, both having riots. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. Yeah. After the inauguration, well, for the inauguration, 25 thousand troops were deployed to Washington, D.C. to defend after the uh, violence of the Capitol. You know, they were worried about the inauguration. But images spread on Thursday showed some of those troops being forced to rest and sleep in nearby parking garages after lawmakers returned to work. The conditions, you know, sparked anger amongst politicians and some state governors recalled their troops. And so obviously a lot of people were angry about this. Biden called the chief of the National Guard Bureau to apologize. Jill Biden visited some of the troops to thank them personally, brought biscuits from the White House as a gift. Did she make them? (laughs) Probably not. Yeah, so this was something that people didn't know about, like lawmakers didn't know about. Chuck Schumer said that it was an outrage and pledged it will never happen again. As soon as it happened, as soon as it became clear what was happening, a lot of lawmakers jumped into work. There were stories about senators up at three in the morning making sure that it got fixed. But still, it's kind of like, how did this happen? Where were they expected to sleep? Yeah, there should have been some sort of plan, right? Yeah. It's just ridiculous. I'm, I'm glad that they acted quickly and that, you know, Joe Biden was quick to apologize, not make excuses or anything. But that's just ridiculous that that happened. But moving along, Anthony Fauci gave his first press conference since Joe Biden was elected president, and he just looked so happy. Yeah. He said it's nice to be liberated. He talked about how he now feels that he can speak freely and, you know, just deliver the science and let the science speak for itself. 
whereas he was more controlled over what he was saying in the Trump administration. Yeah. And he said that the lack of candor from the Trump administration likely cost lives. Yeah, likely. And that's very serious um, and unfortunate. But I did love seeing Anthony Fauci so giddy about Trump being gone. Biden's first two nominations for his cabinet have been confirmed. Lloyd Austin, who was a former general, is confirmed as Secretary of Defense. He's the first African-American to hold the position. And Avril Haines was confirmed as Director of National Intelligence, who was the first woman to hold the position. Both passed the Senate with, I believe, over 90 votes, so pretty bipartisan. That's good. And Biden, on his first day, signed a flurry of executive orders to reverse a lot of Trump's worst policies. He rejoined the Paris Climate Accord. He ended the Muslim ban. He ended family separation at the border. He submitted the articles to end the U.S.'s exit of the World Health Organization. He canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. More on that later. He instituted a mandatory mask wearing policy on all federal land, which is the max power he had to do. And, and, and flights. And Oh, yes, and flights. And that's just some of it. He, he signed a bunch of executive orders every day this past week. And all of this next week, each day has its own theme. I think they're going to decorate the White House to match it. And the one, one of the ones that's uh, coming up is ending the ban on transgender people uh, being in the military. Yeah, that was that Trump? Yep, that yeah, was Trump. It was Trump. Yeah. It was it was it was everybody, and then Obama undid it, and then Trump redid it. Yeah. So that's good. I mean, it all sounds good to me. We'll get we'll get to Keystone uh, a little bit later, but uh, I have a lot, so I want to start motoring through some of these. On his phone call with Trudeau, Biden promised to consult with Canada on one of his campaign promises, which was to institute sort of a Buy American policy, Right. which obviously, considering the fact we have such deep trade ties uh, with the U.S., will end up affecting Canada. Yes, yeah, so yeah, but he promised to work and consult with Canada, but he didn't promise that we'd like the outcome in the end. But it's nice to be talked to for once, you know? Yeah. And not just random tariffs that we learned about from a tweet at three in the morning. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, on the phone call, Trudeau also expressed his disappointment with the Keystone XL decision. And Biden said it was a campaign promise and it returns to Obama's decision. Like, this isn't the first time the decision's been made. But again, more on Keystone later, I promise. <laughs> he shouldn't, uh, yeah. Uh, retur- I, I don't like that answer. But anyway, just because just it's your decision. You're the president. Obama isn't. Doesn't matter what his decision was. Yeah, it's yeah, your decision. Yeah, Twitter on Sunday temporarily suspended the account of GOP Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Republican U.S. Congresswoman from Georgia, who has expressed racist views and support for QAnon conspiracy theories online. She is one of those Congress people who is a legacy of Trump. You know, big Trump person. She introduced articles of impeachment against Biden on his first day as president. What did he do? Why? I don't know. Well, I don't what was her reasoning? Cons- I don't think they're being considered. Probably that it's a fake election or something like that. I didn't oh. really look too much into it because, honestly, I don't care because it's crazy. Yeah. The, um, the QAnon people. Did, did you watch the Jimmy Kimmel where he talked about the, the QAnon? Because the QAnon on on inauguration day, they believed that this was all part of Trump's plan, and once all these uh, criminals like Biden, Obama, Hillary, Tom, Tom Hanks, Bill Clinton, all, once all the criminals and pedophiles were in one spot, 
Trump was going to come riding in with the military and the Marines and block all the exits and arrest them all and take them to some underground bunker where they were immediately going to have a trial. The evidence against them was going to be shown and every TV was going to be switched to that channel regardless of what you were watching. So they believed this was yeah. going to happen, and and apparently on the sort of QAnon Twitter feeds, they were all excited in the morning, like, oh, I got the popcorn ready, oh, here, blah, blah, blah. And then as the day sort of rolled on and nothing happened, they were they just got more and more depressed. What's going on? Yeah. How come nothing happened? Yeah, it's funny. I saw I saw a few, I don't think it was Jimmy Kimmel, but one of the late night shows were talking about it, and, and um, they were showing people realizing that they'd been played. Yeah, and I mean it's funny in a way. It's relieving in another way. I'm glad some people are coming to realize that they've been played, and I hope it teaches them something of a lesson. But it's sad that there are so many people that were able to be susceptible. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You wonder how really, like in yeah. this in this day so and age, with so much information available by just a little bit of looking, how? But it's one of those things where, you know, you can find the information, but you go at it with a predisposition to what you're going to believe. Yeah. Like, it comes from NBC, I'm not going to believe it. It comes from a government health page, that means it's a lie, you know? Yeah. So, that's hard. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, still in the news uh, for another thing. Parkland families from the Parkland school massacre are calling for her res- resignation after old comments surfaced where Green agreed with commenters who said the Parkland shooting was a, quote, false flag operation, a conspiracy theory that the shooting was set up or designed to look like it was carried out by another individual or group. People saying, you know, it didn't actually happen or that Democrats shifted it to look like it was a far-right conspiracy theorist when it wasn't to damage the far-right which is horrible because people died. Children yeah. died. Yeah. And and I, I mean, first of all, I would say I don't think she should have ever been elected. And she's not going to resign, but she should. She's not going to resign. No, no, she's not because she doesn't care. No. Again, this is the legacy of Trump. This is what we're going to be dealing with for a while. I think even after Trump's name fade, this sort of ideology, these people are going to be around. He definitely brought life to to a group that was starting to become quieter at the very least, but obviously was always there. Yeah. And she's one of those people who I bet if Trump started the Patriot Party, she would defect immediately. So that's interesting. And speaking of the far right, and this is another story where I'm going to read directly from the article because I just cannot summarize it in enough succinctness. To, to do it justice. So I'm just going to read from the CBC article. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole said he was once willing to give his former leadership rival Derek Sloan the benefit of the doubt, but no longer. And he dismissed the idea that kicking Sloan out of caucus this week has pitted him against one of the party's most powerful wings, social conservatives, whose support O'Toole courted directly during the leadership race last year, in part by backing Sloan at the time. In an interview with the Canadian Press, O'Toole said that he didn't believe Sloan meant to be racist last year in his characterization of Chief Public Health Officer Dr. Theresa Tam. 
where Sloan essentially said that, uh, Tam, how do we know she's working for Canada? She might be working for China because she's Asian. That's why he opposed efforts then to kick O'Toole out of caucus. Or, sorry, to kick Sloan out of caucus. He said, I will always give a colleague or anyone in Parliament in public life the benefit of the doubt or, you know, listen to them the first time. And that was the case early on with Derek when he said he didn't mean uh, to malign the intentions of Dr. Tam, even though he did. He clearly did. What he said, yeah. It's like, I didn't mean what I said, but O'Toole said a, quote, pattern developed since then, meaning that Sloan has continued to, you know, repeat the behavior that he's done his entire career. And frustrations mounted that Sloan's extreme social conservative views posed an ever-present danger to the party's goal of forming government. So it's not that his views are a problem. It's not that his extremist racist views are a problem. It's that they might hurt the Conservatives' party chance of forming government. It all appeared to come to a head last week in the aftermath of riots in the U.S. led by extreme right-wing supporters of now-former U.S. President Donald Trump. And let's just revel in that phrase, now-former. O'Toole faced pressure from caucus, conservative supporters, and his rivals to firmly disavow any elements of extremism in his party's ranks. Last Sunday, O'Toole issued a statement doing just that. The next day, media organization Press Progress reported O'Toole's outrage over Sloan's leadership campaign accepting a donation from a known white nationalist. But let's give him a chance, folks. O'Toole moved swiftly to start the process of kicking Sloan out, getting 20% of MPs on side as required by law. He insisted the demand was driven by caucus as evidence in the majority vote to remove him. Now, anti-abortion groups are saying that Sloan was kicked out um, not to do with previous statements, but because in recent weeks, Sloan has been pushing to get as many socially conservative delegates as possible registered for the party's policy convention in March. Sloan, as well as the Campaign Life Coalition and Right Now, want enough delegates in their camp so motions they support will pass, including one that would remove the existing policy stating a conservative government would never regulate abortion. So these groups are saying that O'Toole kicked Sloan out so that he wouldn't have the ability to do that. And, I mean, it goes on, but honestly, cracks show in the Conservative Party, you know? Well, I think Sloan was always an issue. It's probably good that he's gone. Uh, and and I think you, you've said it before, too, but, but the fact... That in order to become the leader, and the same thing, I'm you know I'm reading, um, well, reading an audio book if that's still reading, but uh, <laughs> I'm listening to Obama's book, and the same thing happened to John McCain in the first election against against Obama. Like he he had to make some like John McCain was always uh, climate change like he always thought climate change was an issue. He you know he had some very progressive views for a conservative, but yeah. to get the nomination, he had to endorse the right the right wing side, which was which was uh, you know stuff he didn't necessarily believe. But he had to take those policies on, and and it's you know it, it's the same thing when you're up here. You have to, and it hurt him in the long run because it it, it 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 just you know he voted this way for so long, and then all of a sudden he switched, got the nomination, but it cost him when it came to the general election. And and it's the same thing up here. You say things and to get your nomination that make it very difficult to get elected in the general election because of this far right side of the conservative party that exists now and it has a bigger voice now 
Yeah, and I mean, essentially, when you're leader of the Conservative Party, you just have to constantly be trying to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah, as as uh, as the saying goes, because it is ridiculous, and and it's you're not going to get elected in Canada like that. Well, they come awfully close. They, they do, but, but you're right. If they didn't like, just look at if they didn't beat um, Trudeau in the last election. They're going to struggle to be... That's coffee perking, if you can hear that, but... Yeah. <laughs> if they didn't beat Trudeau in the last election, last election they're definitely going to struggle in this election. Exactly. And 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 that's going to... There's going to be... They're going to have a problem on the outside with Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh and Anime Paul being able to point to Aaron O'Toole and say, look at all these conservative, socially conservative things you said during the election... Because he did, he quote he courted the socially conservative support that aren't popular with the vast majority of Canadians. You know, Canadians, as as much as we say we're centrists in general, and that seems to be true. Well, the center nowadays it doesn't mean you can be flip floppy on things like abortion or marriage equality. The center fully supports those things. You know, pretty much. You even get the center right fully supports these things in the modern political age. Yeah. So so you, you can't win elections on promises like that. So Stephen Harper's strategy and Andrew Scheer's strategy were, were both, we hold these views, we respect these views, we understand these views, and these views will have representation in my government, but I'm not going to legislate on them. And there's only so long that social conservatives will be satisfied with representation, but no result. And I think this this is the, you know, I don't think these cracks are going to go anywhere because well, they need social to conservatives are mad at Aaron O'Toole for doing this, and they, you know he might uh, suffer electorally for it. They need to do the same thing, and and you know, like it's a uh, if the if the Patriot Party comes out of the Republican Party, you need another Reform Party to come out of the, and then don't but then don't join with them like. You, the conservatives have room to come a little bit more to the center if you got rid of the far right wing and really become the progressive conservatives that they used to be and then yeah. they they could they have a good chance of becoming you know the governing party yeah absolutely and it's interesting yeah if they resplit you know that could happen or if the um, you know the far right further right and far right portions you know move to the people's party for example, yeah. um, which already exists. But but the party that remains needs to become more progressive as well. They need to yes, move a I, little I bit. Sort of, yeah. I sort of meant that, like, yeah, if you exercise that party, then the, it would automatically become a more center-right yeah. party. But it's interesting because Aaron O'Toole, the other day, called the Conservatives a, quote, moderate party that, quote, squits squarely, squarely in the middle of Canadian politics and, quote, is as old as Confederation. And the few issues with that is, one, they're not. They keep trying to claim they sit in the middle, that they're a centrist party, but they're not. No. You know? Not not now. No. The two leaders that they had before Aaron O'Toole were former members of the Reform Party who were socially conservative. The conservatives are trying to strike this impossible balancing act that is, in my opinion, just doomed to fail eventually, where in the national front the leader says we're a moderate party and then over to the base the social conservatives that make up a quarter a third of the conservative party membership 
and say, we respect your views and we want you in this party, you know? You can't do both forever. Also, they were as old as Confederation. The Conservative Party was formed in 2003. Canada's a little older than that. Yeah, they aren't. They aren't the they aren't the PC party anymore. They can't claim to be. No, exactly. But they keep trying to. Yeah. Anyway, so that's their problem. We'll see where that goes. BC. Last week we talked about BC was looking into the feasibility of a interprovincial travel ban. They said they're not going to do it. Oh. Well, good. Now I want to go to BC again. <laughs> There's the update on that. And then lastly, I said we'd get back to more Keystone stuff, and this is the Keystone. Jason Kenny has written a letter to Justin Trudeau calling for consequences or compensation from the U.S. on the Keystone XL cancellation. And again, I'm going to read from the article. This is the last thing I'm going to read from an article. It says, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney is repeating his calls for economic retaliation for the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline, or at least some compensation for TC Energy and the province for the loss of billions of dollars quote by retroactively revoking the presidential permit for this project without taking the time to discuss it with their longest standing ally the united states is setting a deeply disturbing precedent for any future projects and collaboration between our two nations the fact that it was a campaign promise makes it no less offensive our country has never surrendered our vital economic interests because of a foreign government campaign against them so he said if, if we don't put consequences on these at least urge gesture to seek Quote, proportional economic consequences. At the very least, I call upon the government of Canada to press the U.S. administration to compensate TC Energy and the government of Alberta for billions of dollars of costs incurred in the construction of Keystone XL to date. Kenny said the cancellation is a clear violation of the investor protection provisions of the Canada-U.S.-Mexico trade agreement. Trudeau's government has repeatedly said that it supports the project and has made clear to the U.S. administration that they support it. But both the Prime Minister and Canada's ambassador to the U.S. have said it's time to respect the decision and move on. Trudeau said, obviously, the decision of, on Keystone XL is a very difficult one for workers in Alberta and Saskatchewan who have had many difficult, difficult hits. Over the past years, we have been there for them, and we will continue to be there for them, and I will express my concerns for jobs and livelihoods in Canada, particularly in the West, directly in my conversation with President Biden. There was a first minister's meeting, a bunch of conservative premiers also expressed concern and also expressed concern of some governors are calling into question the feasibility of current existing pipelines or new pipelines. One from Ontario to Michigan, where the governor, Gretchen Whitmer, has been targeting the Line 5 pipeline. Kenny has also noted that Gina McCarthy, Biden's senior domestic advisor on climate change, has voiced opposition to Enbridge's Line 3, which goes from Alberta to Wisconsin. But what I think is uh, arguably most important is that, uh, you know, what the Alberta NDP said. Alberta's opposition NDP, however, blamed Kenny for the current situation, saying he was combative and uh, continues to be so even when the situation calls for diplomacy. Energy critic Kathleen Ganley said the Alberta government gambled away at least $1.5 billion in taxpayer money on the deal, but refuses to release details about the investment. Albertans still don't know exactly how much we are on the hook for. The Premier has said that it's around $1.5 in equity and construction costs, but the number could grow. She said the NDP would formally request that the details of the deal with TC Energy be released at the upcoming Public Accounts Committee. James Coleman, an expert on energy law at Southern Methodist University in Jalis, also sees Biden's move as setting a precedent that could endanger other projects 
should the president decide that he wants to shut them down as environmental groups urge. Quote, one thing we just don't know is will President Biden go along with that agenda of shutting down existing pipelines, or is this sort of the high watermark of his anti-pipeline actions? So it's, it's obviously a big deal in Canada. I think it's probably a bigger deal in Canada than the U.S., and... I think it wouldn't be as big of a problem if the NDP had won the last election in Alberta or if the UCP had continued the uh, NDP plan of diversifying the economy and energy diversification. And so I don't think it's entirely Kenny's fault, obviously. I don't think anyone could say that. But it does feel to me that Kenny is blaming everyone but himself when really the hit, the fact that the hit is so big, in my opinion, is partly his responsibility because it was his government that decided to stop diversification projects and to reroute a whole bunch of money towards this one resource that in recent years anyone could tell you was going to be a gamble, that it's very clear that we need to be moving away from at whatever pace you want to argue. It's all the science says we need to be moving away from it. But Jason Kenney decided that billions of Alberta taxpayer dollars should be put towards this one project that has been fought from the beginning, that has faced tons of hurdles already, that he knew had a good chance of being cancelled if Biden was elected, but he's not willing to take any of the blame on himself. Wasn't it a Trump executive order that put it back in motion again? Yes. So complaining that an executive order takes it off is a bit hypocritical. If you can use an executive order to start it, why well, you should be able to use one to stop it. Secondly, his other point, though, is, is maybe a good one. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I haven't read the new NAFTA either. But if if it does go against the new NAFTA, then there's 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 uh, you know there's arbitration courts that you go tribunals that you take your complaint to and see what happens. Yeah. But uh, and, and I think I I'm not sure. But I think if it really did, the federal government would do that because, despite what conservatives would have you believe, they have been advocating for this project since 2016, the current liberal government. Yeah. And they have a Western problem right now, so I'm pretty sure that if they had a legitimate course of action yeah, to do this, they would do it. And they, and they still might. It's just yeah. th- it's just three, four days ago that this happened. So he's just talked to Biden. We'll see what happens. If the, if it is against the NAFTA, I don't remember the new name of NAFTA. because uh, Canada-U.S.-Mexico Trade Agreement. Yeah, I'm just going to call it NAFTA. If it does go against that, then, the, then they'll, I'm sure they will take it to, to the tribunal that, that makes rulings on these things. And that's all you can do. Uh, other than that, you can't... You, you know, there was no pipeline till the executive order put it back in, in motion again. So not not and, surprised. And, and you knew it was coming. He said he was going to do it, and he did, which I respect when politicians do that. So Yeah. And, and he said he was going to be doing it for like a year, and you made no plan for in yeah. case he won the election. Yeah. And, also, but the, and the other thing is, I, you know, Jason Kenney's saying, you know, I want financial recompense or consequences for the U.S., on one hand, what are we going to do? Yeah. We're going to go to the U.S. like, we demand that you give us uh, the province of Alberta $1.5 billion, the province of Saskatchewan, whatever, and TC Energy this much money. And they say, no. And then what? Yeah, it's and not... We go it's a silly... Slap, it's a silly letter. Yeah. And what, we're going to slap tariffs on them? They're going to slap tariffs on us again. Do you want to go back into that? 
right now when we just got administration that will maybe finally work with us on some things? No, the, do we want to be hostile? You do it the way we did it for years. You take it to the to the NAFTA tribunal. Exactly, and, and, and so I, I, I think that those demands from Jason Kenney are unreasonable, and and if they were to be followed, hurtful to they certainly the, won't be followed. It's just silliness. And the U.S. agreement, yeah, it's it's just more posturing because Kenny does that all the time. Yeah, because it works. Because it works. It works with forty percent of the population. I know it's just annoying. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see how it happens with NAFTA. Yeah. All right, uh, I'll, I got a oh few God. things, but I'll keep it relatively short. Yeah, you haven't even gone yet. I was like, that's over. That was a long one. You haven't even gone yet. Rand Paul was on George Stephanopoulos the other day, and George said, he said, he, he said, can you state that this election was not stolen? So it's like a yes-no question, right? Yeah. It's, it's like, yes, you're right, it wasn't stolen. But he, Rand Paul would not say it. He, he was going on and and he said george you're you're saying everything that the other side says is a lie rather than saying there's two sides to everything and and immediately i thought well there there there, some things don't have two sides yeah like you know like a fact doesn't have two sides and then and then george said exactly that he's like this is a fact there's not two sides And then, he, but Rand Paul doubled down. He's like, he did. There's two sides to everything in the states. He said, in some states, they did break the law illegally. Oh, as opposed to breaking the law legally. Yes, exactly. All those legal times we break yeah. the law. Yeah, it's just, it's just funny. But uh, just an incredible interview, and just you know, as I said earlier, as long as people like that are still senators and still have power, there's going to be a big gap to to bridge down there before. The population is is somewhat healed and back together, so it's yeah. going to be tough. I would say Rand Paul is another one of those people where he might defect to the Patriot Party if Trump formed it. Yeah, probably good. He's I can't. He's so annoying. He I don't. I think Graham irks me a bit more, but he's really close. Yeah, there's there's a few that are up there that are like just everything out of their mouth. Yeah. And it's like the same list that you were saying before, Rand Paul, yeah. Mitch McConnell, Ted Cruz, yeah. Lindsey Graham. Yeah. Uh, in, in not shocking news, it has come out that the Trump administration had no vaccine distribution plan. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. How? How? I, I'm just, I'm not, I think, I think being president is, is a much harder job than being a governor general, say. But, yes, for example. but there are some sort of basic things that, you know, you should probably take care of. And one is, I mean, he was he thought he, he thought the vaccine was all him getting it done. He was so happy when it happened. Why wouldn't he make a plan to get it out? It's just it's just shocking. Unbelievable. And yet it's not. Yeah, it's not shocking. It's totally believable. It, yeah. Yeah, you're right. The Washington Post has kept track of all the lies and and mistruths and misleading information that Trump spread over his presidency and so now that he's no longer president they have a final tally and that number is 30,573 lies it works out to about 21 a day for every day he was in office uh, more than that from when he announced his from when he rode down the elevator to when he went to the escalator to when he left the white house so it's about i think it's about five years in total 
but it works out to 21 a day for five years. I mean, I mean, aren't you only awake for maybe 14 hours a day? That's that's like two for every waking hour almost. <laughs> it's an incredible number. Incredible yeah. number. That's that. Really, there should be some award or something like that's yeah, That is an impressive number. <laughs> uh, Mitch McConnell is facing a conservative backlash over his criticism of Trump. And as, as much as I can tell, his criticism of Trump was, I'm not sure how I'm going to vote yet. Yeah. Well, I think he, all, he also said that Trump incited the riot, I think, eventually. Yeah. Okay, fine. Um, and, and he said that Joe Biden won the election. And I think that counts these days. Yeah. No, that, that's what my, my point is. He, it's like a very mild criticism, barely, yeah. c- barely criticism. And Lindsey Graham was having none of it. He said, what we need right now is for Senator McConnell to unequivocally say that the second impeachment of Donald Trump after he leaves office is not only unconstitutional, it's bad for the country and stand up and fight back. I hate Every time, every time the Republicans don't like something, they're like, it's unconstitutional. And they can't point to any evidence because there is none. Yeah. They throw that word around like it's nothing. Yeah. And, and also, it, it's just such mild, mild uh, criticism that just just shut up, Lindsay. Just shut up. I don't know. I don't know what happened to Lindsey Graham. I'm assuming this is all who he was and everything else was a face like a like a front it must be because he was considered one of the moderates in the 2016 um, or rather 2015 Republican primary yeah he you know he criticized Donald Trump a lot in that primary but I guess Ted Cruz did too yeah they all did still considered despite the criticism Ted Cruz was still considered a very right-wing figure yeah Lindsey Graham was considered a moderate but yeah it must be you must be right it's got to be otherwise why would you you know you'd 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 turn it off now if that wasn't but either way I mean either way it's it's either this is what you always were or you're so spineless that you you'll do whatever you know your boss says speak keep go go ahead you think he might come back around now that Trump's out well, no, but they didn't. So that's why I believe that this is what he always was. This is what he really was. And now he has the room to say it and get away yeah. with it. Speaking of Lindsey Graham, uh, it might have been the same interview, maybe a different one. But he said uh, Trump's presidency was a consequential presidency. And to, to back that up, he said three Supreme Court justices. I don't think that makes you good. I think that just makes you lucky. And not even lucky because one of them was stolen by the Republican Party, and the other one was, by the previous standards that they set, was also then stolen. Yeah, but you still got to be lucky. Like, they have to line up that you were prime minister when they quit or die. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, president, when they quit or die, right? Like, yeah. if otherwise... Or in control of the Senate. Or, yeah. Because, again, yeah. Obama was president when Scalia died. Yeah. As long as... It, it needs to be within that... Yeah, you just got to be lucky. It, it doesn't. It has nothing to do with how good your presidency was. You can't point to it and say, "This was a great presidency. We got three Supreme Court justices." Yeah, although he did say his exact word was consequential, and it was certainly consequences. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I and will he, not actually disagree with him on that statement. And he also said. 
talking about people that are moving away from from Trump. He said, if you want to erase Trump from the party, you're going to get erased, which sounds mildly like a like a mob threat. But, yeah, it does. And but, that's that's the Republican Party's problem, because as much as there might be the smart ones who want to erase his legacy from the party, there's the really loyal ones who will do everything they can to keep it. Yeah. And finally, speaking of press secretaries, you, you were talking about the press secretary earlier. Uh, Kylie McElhaney, McElhaney left letters for the incoming Biden press officials. I And I can't imagine what they possibly say. I can't imagine. Like, was it advice? Was it when your president tweets out weird things at 3 a.m., this is what you do? Because yeah. that's not going to happen. And if yeah. was it like, what could it possibly have been? I don't understand. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone coming in is far more qualified than Kaylee McEnany ever was. Yeah. Also, I heard uh, Trump left a letter for Biden. Oh, I didn't know he could write. That's yeah. cute. I'm sure. I'd like to see that. I really would like to see that letter. I'm sure it will come out one day, but Biden said it was very um, personal, and so we didn't want to show it. I'm sure it just had a lot of spelling errors and he was a little embarrassed. Maybe an embarrassment, you know? Some, he probably had somebody else. He didn't write For sure, Trump didn't write it. 100% <laughs> Trump didn't write it. Pence scribbled it out as when uh, Trump's back was turned. Or, or, what, or he had a staff person write it or something. There is no way. There is no way he is a, he is a good, gracious loser. Yeah. Moving on, closer to fine. Uh, last last week, you know, we talked about how Airbnb wasn't going to let the rioters come. And I made a joke about how uh, they aren't going to put rioters on their why they're coming to Washington. I, th I think I was wrong. So uh, a Florida man has been arrested by the FBI. And almost every bizarre story starts with a Florida man after he posted videos that detailed his invasion of the Capitol on Facebook. <laughs> like, unbelievable. Speaking of uh, lucky, the U.S. is a little bit lucky that all its uh, most passionate insurrectionists are idiots. Yes, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> really makes quashing that insurrection quite easy. Yeah. And you mentioned Bernie's outfit before, and his his mittens and his his coat at the inauguration. Yeah. It is it has become uh, an internet sensation. Everywhere you look, there's Bernie. He, his his quote about it was, "In Vermont, we're not so concerned about good fashion." <laughs> but those were great mittens, and apparently the the woman that made the mittens has got a bunch of requests for mittens now. And and yeah, she's and she said she can't do no. It she's like she's like I'm I'm a I'm a mom and I work and I don't have time to make your mittens, <laughs> <laughs> which is awesome. Now the other, um, have you heard that Bernie Sanders sold sweaters of him in that 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 meme that pose with the crossed legs and crossed arms, and that was on. He sold sweaters for forty five dollars a sweater. Yeah, and then. And when I first read that, because I, I like just reading that part of the headline, I was shocked. I was like, it's not like Bernie to capitalize. No, he gave it away to someone or something. Yeah, he donated 100% of the proceeds 
to Meals on Wheels, Vermont. Oh, that's good. Um, and sweaters apparently sold out in minutes. Yeah, I believe it. So, what a good man. Yeah, absolutely. He would have been a good president, I think. Yeah. Now, Biden's moved into the Oval, Oval Office. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel said his dogs must be going nuts because everywhere in there smells like fried chicken. <laughs> but he, I, as far as I can tell, I looked this up in a couple spots and it seems to be true. He got rid of the Oval Office Diet Coke button that was there that that whenever Trump would push it and somebody would bring him a Diet Coke on a, like every time. He, so that's gone now. Was it was it gone or was it just so worn out that it couldn't be used anymore after the Trump presidency? I think Biden had it removed, so there's no uh, more. I don't know if there was an actual Diet Coke symbol on it or if it's just a button that that's what it was used for. But anyway, it's I, gone. Now, was it like an official button, like under the desk? Because I'm picking, I'm picturing sort of like a big uh, red button that's similar to the Staples "That Was Easy" button. Yeah, exactly. That, like batteries <laughs> that Trump would like. Yeah. Hit boom every time, yeah. and it would say something that coke me, yeah, die coke. Yeah. And then uh, the other, you know, I think you mentioned it earlier, but it's just it's nice to see Fauci back, and you know, he's a he's a good speaker, he's a smart guy, he has he gives good advice, and it's and he was basically handcuffed and and gagged by by the Trump administration, so. It's good to see him back and and out there and and being the voice of of reason and and uh, hopefully he'll be able to convince some people to go get their vaccine and stay home and wear a mask. Yeah, that is that is nice. He looks like ten years younger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got one thing that I thought was kind of nice. Visitors to British Columbia long-term care homes may qualify as essential and be eligible for the first doses of vaccines. Now, this is not every visitor, um, but for example, to show the sort of like qualifications, one woman got a phone call um, about her elderly father in um, long-term care. She said she was expecting bad news because, you know, elderly father, long-term care, and you're getting a phone call out of the blue. I understand why. Um, But she was actually told that she had been moved in to the top of the list when it comes to getting a vaccine because she's been deemed essential so that she could drive her father to and from emergency cancer services. Yeah, that's fine. That's yeah, good. I think that that's makes, good. It I makes think sense. Good, I think it's a good policy to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I would even go so far as to say if you're only getting one visitor and that's your only contact with the outside world in the waning years of your life, I would qualify that as essential. Yeah, they, it's almost like you should get a if you're if you're living in a long tear facility, you get a plus one. You know, like you're going to a wedding for your yeah, for your exactly. vaccines. You and yeah. a plus one. Yeah, and it's not like I mean, these people are going to get vaccinated anyway. They're just moving to a front of the line, and it's important. It's easy to forget about the elderly in long term care, but it is important that they get visitors and exposure to the outside world especially when you know a lot of them when they're really old you don't know how much longer they have yeah exactly no i i I don't have a problem with that it seems to be a good policy good for be good for british columbia hopefully other provinces take note yeah i agree because honestly it's something i would not have thought of no me neither so it's so it's good i'm happy and now the end is near all right parting thoughts i i have two things First, a study, and I don't know who did the, I don't know who does these bizarre studies, and it never says, but 
I think it's just somebody in their living room that thinks, eh, this number makes sense. But anyway, a study has shown 25% of people involved in a Zoom meeting are just looking at themselves. <laughs> and my gut feeling is I'm surprised it's not much higher. <laughs> yeah. I mean, personally, I try to avoid looking at myself. Um, but uh, I feel like it is probably much higher as well. And and secondly, I just got to say, and and I know, I, I well, what I I just what do we do in the days before Uber? It it's so easy now. Like I can't imagine standing outside trying to hail a cab. I I I take you know I'm working in Saskatoon, so I don't have a car, so I take Uber to and from work quite a bit while I'm here. And you know I I'm sitting in my hotel room. I call one. On my phone, I can watch it. When it gets to close to the hotel, I go downstairs and I get right in and it takes me to the place where I'm going. It's just... <laughs> and I remember when it came out thinking, who would ever get in a stranger's car? Yeah. <laughs> this seems super unsafe. But uh, I love it. Love it. Yeah, they've certainly improved over the years. But it is so convenient. It's amazing. Yeah. So... I have two things as well. When we first moved into the place where we live in Edmonton, uh, my roommates and I, we were quite excited about the downstairs shower because it's super nice, updated, it's got a steam bath, there's lots of open space, there's a seat. Do you need uh, lots of... What? Why do you... Why were you excited about a seat and open space? Uh, well, it's, just, it's nice. I, I feel crammed in so many showers. Uh, and, and the seat... How much time do you spend in the shower? Like you're in, you're out. I just, Sometimes even when you're washing. Yeah, right. It's just exciting. It's All nice because right. it's big. Okay. Right. So we were excited to use it. And what it became very clear to us pretty soon is that it didn't get hot water. But that you have lots of space. That, that's not to say it was cold water. At best, it got lukewarm. But it was not hot enough to ever shower in. So we contacted the landlady. And, you know, after a while, she finally sent somebody to fix it. And... He came in one day and he looked at it and he said, I have no idea. And he left. So she called another guy who came in, looked at it, had some theories like, I need to do these things. Then he left. Then he came back again, tried some things, didn't work, left. Came back again, said he just needed this one piece, whatever. So we've been waiting for this one piece for, so this was in September. And so we've probably been waiting for this one piece for about two months now. Huh. The first two months being like a different the guy coming and going. And eventually, so it has been four months in the shower hasn't been working. And so eventually we kind of sent an email to our landlady saying, this is taking too long. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, a little bit more diplomatic than that, but that was the gist of it. Um, and we said, we know you've been working at this, but we, we kind of need you to push or like a little harder at, at the plumber because the reasons he was giving us for why it was taking so long were kind of ridiculous. And so she ended up firing the plumber and uh, getting a new one. And the new guy came in on Friday and uh, day one fixed the shower. What? Yeah. What was wrong with it? Nothing? Well, so there was a... Loose clamp? A cartridge within the, the knob, like the temperature knob, that needed to be replaced. Right. And the old plumber knew that. And, and he ordered a new cartridge. Yeah. So one of the things we were waiting for was the new cartridge to come in. But the new cartridge has been in for a while. But the other thing is, like, he needed, like, a special extraction tool to get the old cartridge out. Right. 
And so he kept saying that, oh, well, I had to order it to this guy in the city, and the guy has it now, but, uh, oh, the guy's impossible to meet up with. I try to contact him. He doesn't answer. He, we were supposed to meet once, and he didn't show up uh, because, you know, he's moving all around the city um, constantly uh, with his job. And what occurred to me, I was like, well, just go to his job site, wherever it is, take two seconds for him to hand it to you, yeah. and then leave. Yeah. And that's kind of what we said to our landlady. It was like, we don't understand why this is a problem when there seems like this is such an easy solution. Like, I understand maybe you try to meet up with him for a while, but it has been two months now. Yeah. And this shower has been broken for four months. So, like, something needs to be done. So, anyway, the new plumber came, and he was like, yeah. And he talked to the landlady. He called her while she was here and was like, yeah. So, you do need this special extraction tool to uh, get this piece out. Or I could try to force it out, but I want you to know, and I don't like—I don't want there to be any surprises—that it could damage and just ruin it, and you might just need to replace the whole piece, like the whole system, which he said would cost probably fifteen hundred dollars. Right. Um, but he said there's a good chance, like if you don't want me to try to force it out, probably have to replace the whole thing anyway. So at least if I try to force it out, you might save some money. And so the landlady gave him the go-ahead. And um, I thought he was going to try to take, like, some, I don't know, get something in there and, like, try yeah. to turn it. Yeah. But no, he takes out a chisel and a hammer, and he angles it up on one side and starts smacking the bottom of the chisel to force the chisel into the part to make it turn. Yeah. And it's brass, so it's just denting all over the place and, like, chipping. Yeah. And as soon as he starts, I'm like, oh, my God, this thing's going to get destroyed. But no, he got it out, and he got the thing in. And I've been showering in the shower ever since. Nice. So I'm just like, what happened? Like, it was, it was, he just fixed it. Good like, plumber, yeah. Four months, one day he fixed it. So that's nice. This finally, you know, uh, it's a big relief. And then lastly, I've been rewatching Star Trek Voyager, which is very few people's favorite, but it's my favorite. And it has its problems. But it's my favorite Star Trek. It might just be because it was the first one I ever watched. I admit it has its flaws. There are some episodes that I've skipped because I'm like, I just don't want to watch this. But I just started the finale. And I forgot how good the finale is. And it is a common consensus, and I agree amongst you know big Star Trek fans, that Voyager, for all its flaws, has the best finale. Because original series kind of just ends because yeah. it got cancelled. Yeah. Next Generation was a great... Is, arguably what is considered the best series, but it just kind of has a last episode too, where Jean-Luc Picard is hopping through time, he doesn't know why, he fixes things, he realigns it, and then he goes and he plays poker at the end with his shipmates and he's like, oh, I should have done this a long time ago. End of series. It's a good episode, but it's like not really like a finale, you know? Deep Space Nine is just depressing because it has seven seasons. End of season six, everybody's favorite character died. And then at the end of season seven, all the characters are like, like Cisco, the captain, is like on this weird psycho-spiritual weirdness plane. And then everyone else is like, well, we're all going to split up and go do our separate jobs now, so we'll never see each other again. Bye. And it's sad. And that's just sad. And Enterprise is just bad. Star Trek Enterprise is just, there's no good episode. Well, to be fair, we only watched four of them or something. Yeah, but that's all we needed to. Come on. It was... The finale maybe is awesome. I don't know. I, yeah, it doesn't matter. But Voyager's finale has everything that makes a good Star Trek. Like, it's a two-parter, which is odd. Like, so you get more story. 
It has time travel. It has the Borg as the main enemy. It has insurmountable odds. It has two Captain Janeways because of the time travel stuff. It has tragedy. It's just so well written. The, it's just uh, a great finale. It's easier to make a finale to that though because they had a desti- They always had a destination. Yeah, and then and that way you you automatically get sort of like a, a renewed sense of hope and like you know it's this achievement. So you're right. I see what you're saying, but it is still just so good. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty, well, that uh, wraps up episode four. It's a bit of a long one, but that's okay. Yeah, I think things will calm down uh, starting next week. You know, inauguration made political busy. Yeah, well, you never know. We'll see what happens over the course of this week. Thanks for listening, and we will talk at you again next week.